July of 1961, Vince Lombardi kicked off the first day of training camp a little differently for the 38 players on his Green Bay Packers football team. The prior season had ended in a heartbreaking loss to the Philadelphia Eagles after they blew a lead in the fourth quarter of the NFL championship game. So when the players came into training camp, they expected uh, to uh, uh, just pick up where they had left off. They had come within a few points of winning it all just a few months earlier. But their coach had other plans. He wanted to start from scratch. So when they all huddled up, Coach Lombardi held up the pigskin and said, go ahead and show that picture. Gentlemen, this is a football, he said. Uh, they say that one of, the, uh, one of the wisecrackers on the team, Max McGee, responded, uh, Coach, could you slow down a little? You're going a little too fast for us. Lombardi smiled, but then he had everyone open up their playbooks, and they started on page one, where they began learning the fundamentals all over again. Blocking, tackling, throwing, catching. Uh, their their hyper-focus on fundamentals allowed them to win the NFL championship that season, 37-0 against the New York Giants. Vince Lombardi went on to win five NFL championships in seven years, and as a coach, he never lost a playoff game again. This fall, we are going back to the fundamentals of our Christian lives. We're looking at the essentials, the, the things that, that we believe that, that have been taught for a couple thousand years now in the, in the life of the Christian church. Last week we started with God. There, there wouldn't be a spiritual life without a God who calls us to live for Him. Uh, among other things, we learned that, that God is Trinity, three in one. We sang about it this morning. There's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And today we're going to zoom in on Jesus, God's Son. The author of Hebrews encourages us in chapter 12 to, quote, fix your, our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. It's almost as if he's saying, ladies and gentlemen, this is Jesus. Just, just like the importance of the ball in an NFL game, Jesus is at the center of what it means to be Christian. So today we need to answer the question, who is Jesus. If he is the central figure of Christianity, we better know something about him. And not just know about him, but we'd better get to know him. We need to know who he was, what he did, what he's doing. So we're going to start with first the first off, who was Jesus? Medina is one of those uh, special places that goes all out for Christmas. I think if you've been around here for a Christmas, you know that. Now, get this, believe it or not, in less than nine weeks, they will be lining the square with milk jugs, lighting the tree in the gazebo, and Santa will be coming in his sleigh at the end of the parade around the square. Less than nine weeks. Everything's going to be decorated. Uh, we'll, we will be full on for Christmas. And, and of course, in the church, Christmas is centered on Jesus, right? It's all about what theologians call the incarnation. Wow, there's a big theological word for a Sunday morning. Basically meaning when God became human in Jesus. John 1.14 says it this way. The word, referring to Jesus, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. 
We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The angel Gabriel appeared to Mary and and told her she would become pregnant by the Spirit of God and and would give birth to a son. And on that first Christmas night, uh, announced by angels and witnessed by shepherds and barnyard animals, God sent his one and only son into the world. In celebrating that each Christmas, we are acknowledging a significant theological point. It's an essential part of of who we are and what we believe, the virgin birth. We we just talked about it. It's part of the Apostles' Creed, born of the Virgin Mary. It it also highlights something very important that we have to recognize and know of who Jesus was. Jesus was fully God and fully human. The, the second article of faith of the Church of the Nazarene puts it this way. And, and I love how uh, some of the wording is, is uh, maybe a little older school than, than others, but uh, I've come to love this one. He became incarnate by the Holy Spirit and was born of the Virgin Mary so that two whole and perfect natures, that is to say the Godhead and manhood, man, yeah, and manhood are thus united in one person, very God and very man, the God-man. This is, this is part of our belief that, that Jesus was very God and very man, the God-man. Fully human. Jesus is fully human. He was born of a woman on earth just like all other babies. He grew up living life like everyone else. He ate and he worked and he got tired and he slept and he learned things and he had emotions. Uh, this, this is uh, important for us to know because some people have thought at times that Jesus was only partly human or that he just appeared to be human, but he really wasn't human, but Jesus was fully man. Philippians 2, 6 and 7 says, Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Because he did that, Jesus could identify with us. He became one of us. Jesus was fully Man. But Jesus also claimed to be fully God. He is referred to in Scripture as God's Son, as Lord, as Christ, the Messiah. In John 10.30, Jesus said that he was one with the Father. In John 14.9 and 10, he told Philip that anyone who had seen him had seen the Father. When he was asked at his trial before the Jewish Sanhedrin, Are you the Son of God? Jesus replied in Luke 22, You are right in saying that I am. Even Jesus' disciples acknowledged his divinity, and, and Jesus agreed with them. Matthew chapter 16 What about you, he asked, who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. Those are just a a few examples of of the many uh, of, of, of Jesus' claims to his divinity. And yet there have been many over the years who have doubted that Jesus was fully divine. A a lot of people even acknowledge that that he was a good teacher and leader, but yeah, okay, but not God's son. C.S. Lewis wrote in uh, in his classic Mere Christianity, uh, he addressed that exact topic. Uh, and I love this quote. He says, I'm, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. 
That is the one thing we must not say. A man who is merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who said he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Who was Jesus? He was fully God and fully man, and he lived a sinless life. He, he can identify with us because he was human, and yet he was perfectly human. Hebrews 4.15, we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. So that leads us toward the next question. We, we, that's who was Jesus, but, but I want us to, to, okay, that's who Jesus was, but what did Jesus do? What's, what's the big deal? I, uh, what, uh, we could, we, Jesus, God's son, fully God, fully man, the God man. Okay, great, but what did he do? What's, what's, one way to answer that question would be to focus on Jesus' life and teachings and his healings and the things that he did as he, as he uh, uh, ministered and the record, uh, record that we have in the Gospels. But, uh, but by, by reading through uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we, we see how Jesus lived and what he said and did and, and what he taught and how he treated people and, and, and the life and, and blessing that he brought to those who crossed his path. We just completed this, this summer uh, studying some of the teachings of Jesus, specifically in the parable. Right in the stories that he told, uh, Jesus taught his followers how to live life uh, for him and for the kingdom of God, and all that is vitally important. That is that is something that Jesus did. But but there's more. We have to investigate why Jesus came in the first place. What was his purpose in even being here? According to Jesus himself and the testimony of those who served him served with him, there, there are numerous accounts of why Jesus came to earth. And, and yet I think you'll see kind of a, a thread, a central thread running through them all. Luke 19.10, Jesus said of himself, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Mark 2.17, I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. John 18.38, for this purpose I was born and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. John 12, 46, I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. John 3, 17, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. 1 John 3, 8, the reason the son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Mark 10, 45, even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. What did Jesus do? Why did he come to earth as a baby a couple of thousand years ago? It looks like through these passages, it looks like it has something to do with combating sin and evil, bringing light into the darkness, pointing to God's truth, saving people. In order to go deeper on all of that, we need to go all the way back to why that would even be uh, necessary. Go back almost to the very beginning, to the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. 
God gave the first man and woman a perfect place to live and just just basically one instruction, don't eat that fruit. And as you probably know, they did eat that fruit, thus disobeying God, bringing sin into the world, separating humanity from our holy God. In response to that sin, God promised to send a savior, a redeemer, a messiah. And and so God, uh, eventually God sent Jesus to seek and to save the lost, calling sinners to repentance, giving his life as a ransom for many. What did Jesus do? He lived a perfect life. He submitted himself to crucifixion as an innocent man. And as he died, Scripture says that the Lord laid on him the iniquity or the sin of us all. 2 Peter 2.24 says it this way, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. What did Jesus do? He died for you and for me to redeem us, to save us from our sin. But that's still not uh, the full picture. Uh, he didn't just die. He rose from the grave. 1 Corinthians 15 uh, says, this, says it this way, If Christ had not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. What did Jesus do? He stepped out of heaven giving up his rights as God, and he made himself nothing, becoming a man. He lived a perfect life, teaching and healing as he went, and then submitted himself to crucifixion, taking on the sin of the world. On the third day, he rose from the grave, overcoming sin and death. Sending Jesus was God's answer to our sin. Because God created us and loved us, he wanted to provide a way for our salvation to restore the relationship between himself and humanity. The theological word for what Jesus did for us through his death and resurrection uh, in, in English is a word that did not exist in the 1500s when William Tyndale was translating the Bible into English, and so he made one up. He decided that it was going, he was going to call it the atonement, taking two words, at and one, and putting them together, the atonement or at one Jesus, because of what he did through his death and resurrection, has made us at one with God again. Atonement. We can have a relationship with God because of Jesus. That's what Jesus did. Who was Jesus? What did Jesus do? Those are vital, essential. That's a good word, essential to what uh, to who we are and what we believe. But we also need to know what is Jesus doing right now? Jesus came to earth, he died on a cross, he rose from the dead, then what? Uh, Well, after appearing to hundreds of people and and spending quality time with his disciples and giving them some final instruction, Jesus ascended back to heaven. Philippians 2 said that God raised him to the highest place. We we see in other passages where, where, where that place is. He is sitting at the right hand of God the Father. 
And so maybe you get the picture that, okay, Jesus has done all his work and now he's just relaxing. Uh, you know, he's got somebody fanning him with a big, you know, palm leaf and he's eating grapes and uh, he's just hanging out in the throne room of heaven, right? Jesus is sitting at his father's right hand, but what is he doing there? Well, believe it or not, he's, <laughs> he's praying for you. Jesus is our advocate, our mediator. He is talking to God on our behalf. Romans 8, 34, Jesus, uh, Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Hebrews 7, 25, therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. 1 John 2, 1, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. 1 Timothy 2.5, for there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus. When we adopted Nick into our family, uh, I guess we could call it clunky. I don't know. It, it wasn't all smooth sailing. We flew from Junction City, Kansas to San Diego, California, three days before Christmas in the year 2000 to adopt a little boy who had just been born. But when we got there, let's just say we found ourselves in over our heads. We were in over our heads with our care for Nick, for, with our care for his birth mother and her other children, with the California adoption process, with the local attorney who was uh, trying to make this all happen. It's a great story that, that we don't have time for today. Uh, but, but just know that we were thousands of miles away from home and we needed some help. And that's why, can you get a little emotional about this? That's why whenever I hear the word advocate, I think Kent Vincent. You don't know Kent Vincent? Let me tell you about Kent. Kent was, was our attorney for uh, both of our children's adoptions. We had, we had only met Kent in person a few times, had walked with him through our adoption of Claire, and, and uh, he went with us. We stood before the judge, and we had the, you know, and all the, and the certificates and shook hands and all that. And then a, a few years later, uh, we were ready to do all that again and talk to Kent and filled out the papers and did all the stuff. But at this point, uh, so we, 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 you know, we, we knew Kent. We'd, we'd, uh, and, and we'd spent a lot of time on the phone with him, a little bit of time in person. Kent didn't go with us to California three days before Christmas that year, but he was just a call away. When we called, he picked up. When we cried, he listened. When we asked questions, he had answers. When we needed him to intervene he, he, with, with the pressure that only a lawyer can, can make, he made the calls and got things done. Kent Vincent was our advocate. And a few months later, when things looked like they were going sideways, Kent was on top of things again, advocating, mediating, interceding on our behalf. I haven't talked to Kent Vincent in over 20 years. But when I think of him and what he did for us, the emotions are right there. He stepped in and he spoke up for us when we couldn't speak up for ourselves. 
What is Jesus doing right now for all of us? He is your advocate, your mediator. He is at his Father's right hand interceding for you. The dictionary defines intercede as to intervene on behalf of another. In church world, we, we associate intercession with prayer. We, we, we're praying for someone, talking to God on their behalf. Jesus is doing just that. He knows who you are. He knows what you need. He has already died for your sin, and now he is advocating for you before his Father. We are sinful. We have no standing before God. We are in over our heads. And so uh, Jesus is our mediator who stands in the gap, speaking up for us since we cannot speak up for ourselves. This is why the Bible encourages us to pray in Jesus' name, right? Because Jesus uh, literally is carrying prayers to the Father. Who was Jesus? Fully God and fully man, the God-man. Who, what did Jesus do? Well, he lived a sinless life, teaching us the ways of his kingdom. And then he died and rose again, overcoming sin and death, providing for our salvation. What is Jesus doing? He's advocating. He's, he's mediating. He's interceding for us at the right hand of the Father. So in, all, in light of all of that, who is Jesus to you? What are you going to do with Jesus? I mean, you could ignore all of that that I've just talked about today and everything that we've read in the Bible about him, and you could reject him and all that he has done for you. Or you could accept him as the pioneer and perfecter of your faith, your savior and redeemer and your personal advocate. The one thing that you can't do is nothing. Because Jesus demands a response in light of who he was, in light of what he has done, in light of what he is doing, in light of who Jesus is, what are you going to do with Jesus? I guess I feel a bit like Vince Lombardi today as I stand before you and say, ladies and gentlemen, this is Jesus. Fix your eyes on him, the pioneer and perfecter of your faith. Confess your sin. Receive his forgiveness and grace. Step into the life of following Jesus. Jesus. 